Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. So this morning what we're going to look at and the topic of this morning is understanding the sovereignty of God. And so um, the sovereignty of God is a very misunderstood um, concept. It's a very misunderstood um, attribute to who God is, what God is. And uh, because of that misunderstanding, there's so much confusion. And with regards to what uh, Shane and them are experiencing in Belgium, because of the Catholic Church and a, a lot of that even that is in, in, ingrained into the Catholic Church, people have been hurt. And so much so to the degree where they don't want to know anything about God. They don't want to hear the name God. They don't want to hear religion. Nothing like that. And so a lot of things are assumed and believed about God and His sovereignty. But what we believe about the sovereignty of God will affect everything in our lives. Everything in your life will be affected by having a healthy understanding, correct view of what, and, uh, what the sovereignty of God means. It will affect how we respond to troubles, challenges, hardships, sickness, death, etc. Everything bad, everything horrible that happens to us, our understanding of the sovereignty of God will affect how we respond to every one of those things. And all of us have experienced troubles, right? All of us experienced hardships. And all of us responded in a specific way, and your response was determined by what you believe about the sovereignty of God. And I trust after this morning, we'll be challenged and liberated as we see God for who He really is and take responsibility for the gift that He has given us all. Free will. Amen? You guys excited? So you're either going to be challenged this morning, most of you will be challenged, I'll be challenged myself, and as we uh, respond to the challenge, and when, whenever we come to a message, or whenever we hear a message that is contrary to what we've believed up until that very point and moment that you hear the message, you're going to have two options. Respond in pride, or respond in humility. There's no middle ground. You're either going to respond in pride or humility. Pride is going to say, I haven't heard this before, I don't like this, I haven't believed this my whole life, so I'm not going to hear this. Humility is going to say like, okay, is this the Bible? Okay, yes, it's the Bible. Maybe I haven't seen it like this before, I haven't heard it like this before, but Holy Spirit, I'm going to allow you to show me whether this is true or not, and I'm going to go and investigate. I'm going to consider everything that is mentioned in the message, in the Word, I'm going to make my notes because you can't go and investigate if you don't have notes. So uh, humility is also making notes versus pride. Say, I've already heard this or I know this, so I'm not making notes because uh, you can't really teach me anything new. I praise God, present company excluded. You guys make notes and you enjoy uh, going to investigate the word. Um, but let's just defy uh, sovereignty from the, the dictionary quickly. And it says, supreme power or authority or the authority of a state to govern itself or another state. Okay, so I think all of us can agree on the fact that God is supreme in power and authority, right? I think all of us are in agreement about that. God is uh, supreme in power and authority. Can I get a few head nods? Uh, thank you. And then I think all of us can also agree that God governs himself and doesn't need to check in with anyone about his decisions. He governs himself. Right, so I think every Christian would be in agreement about that definition of. But then when it comes to the Bible, 
like the, 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 the view of the sovereignty of God becomes a little bit warped. And so, before we get into any, anything of the, the Bible, we need to understand, firstly, the composition of the Bible. And we often revisit this, and it's, it's good to revisit it because uh, we are forgetful by nature, right? We forget things. I forgot my wife's birthday 12 days after we got married, and so I'll never forget the birthday again. Um, praise God. But uh, we are forgetful by nature. We forget things. So it's good to revisit things. It's good to hear um, something over and over again because uh, repetition is good for learning. So what is the composition of the Bible? This is vitally important because if we don't understand this, we'll get very confused and uh, become very deceived with regards to our Bible study and the things that God has for us. So Genesis to Malachi, referred to as the Scriptures, especially now in the New Testament when the writers talk about the Scriptures, you've uh, learned the Scriptures, it's talking about Genesis to Malachi. And so Genesis to Malachi, which uh, is refer referenced to as the Scriptures, contains the Law and the Prophets, and what the New Testament writers, they write about, there was a mystery uh, concealed within the Scriptures. And that mystery is a specific message, and we'll get to that in a moment. But we see the mystery, God's plan concealed for the world. And then we look at, the, so that Genesis to Malachi, or as we know it, Old Testament. Then we get the New Testament, which is the first see the books of the Gospels, and then Acts, both primarily written as eyewitness accounts, what was seen. And here we see the mystery unfolding, Jesus coming, the promise of God, Jesus coming, and the mystery is being unfolded, and people are starting to identify and see Jesus for He was, but not everyone, right? So it was busy unfolding. Then we get the letters, the epistles, from Romans through to Revelation, which the mystery is now being revealed to us, which was concealed in the Scriptures. Another way that uh, really blessed me with regards to uh, seeing this it's the, the, the New Testament writers had the Scriptures as their textbook, and they wrote about the Scriptures, and they revealed to us and made plain to us and clear to us what the Scriptures meant, what the Scriptures pointed towards. And so it's not that one is more important than the other, but we have to look at the, the Bible in its entirety, in its fullness, to get understandings about the sovereignty of God, for example. And we need to understand that the Bible interprets the Bible. There's no contradiction within the Bible. So if you see something that sounds contrary, go back to the message of the Bible and the entirety of the Bible and almost have this approach of what is the primary and what is the minority. Because oftentimes there's minor things within the Bible that we make as major. And we, 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 we magnify those minor things and we forget about what the majority is actually saying about that, that very matter or that very topic. And ultimately, this is very important. Everything that we talk about, every topic, everything that we investigate within the Bible, everything needs to be interpreted through the message of the Bible, which is Jesus. Jesus is the message of the Bible. And if you don't interpret the sovereignty of God through Jesus, the message of the Bible, you'll sit with a warped view and a deceived, uh, this, uh, no, a deceived version of the sovereignty of God, and it will affect your relationship with God. It will affect how you respond to troubles, tribulations, hardships, etc. So John chapter 5, verse 39, uh, before some of you get upset with me because we haven't gotten into the Bible. We're going to get into much of the Bible this morning. Praise God that there is no load shedding because the Scriptures will be on the screen for you. 
Um, but please, uh, we're going to try and move through these verses as quickly as possible while laboring the point that needs to be labored here. So John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify about me. So what were the Scriptures? We just looked at it. The Scriptures were Genesis to Malachi, because that is all that they had. While Jesus was walking the earth, and very much while the New Testament letters were being penned down, all they had as a reference was their textbook, the Scriptures. And they didn't even have it in its fullness, right? We're super blessed. We're super fortunate. And we take for granted the blessing of having a Bible fully compiled, Genesis to Revelation, at every corner of our house, on our phones, wherever we're going, it's always available, right? And we take, we, we take that for granted. Here we, we see in John 5, Jesus saying, you search the Scriptures, you, you're going through all of the Scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, and you think that by doing this, you'll find eternal life. By doing these things, you'll find eternal life. By, by working at it, you'll find eternal life. But Jesus says, they actually testify about me. So if you search the Scriptures, if you go to the Bible and come out with anything other than Jesus, You've misinterpreted what you are coming out with, why you went there. You come out with the wrong conclusion. Jesus is saying, you search the Scriptures because you think you're going to get something from it, other than me. The Bible is about me. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, And from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, again, referencing Genesis to Malachi, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So if people just saw that through the Scriptures we can find life, we can find salvation, but it is through Jesus Christ, then you would have passed the exam. And so if we go to the Bible and we don't have this sealed, and we, if we go to this topic of the sovereignty of God, and we don't have this foundation laid of understanding the composition of the Bible and the message of the Bible, which is Jesus Christ, the will of God made manifest, revealed to us perfectly and clearly through His death, His burial, His resurrection, and outpouring of the Spirit, we will come out with the warped view of who God is. So if we just applied even these initial simple truths within our interpreting and our studying of the Bible, and interpreting and studying it through understanding the composition and the message of the Bible, we'll have a lot less uh, um, confused Bible study and passive Christianity. Why do I say passive? Because one of the big things that an incorrect view of the sovereignty of God leads many Christians to is a, a very passive walk with God. Because if God willed or allowed this, there's nothing I can do about it. If God willed the sickness, if God allowed the sickness or this tragedy, I can only sit and let the tragedy or the sickness run its full course. And oftentimes, even people with the uh, uh, incorrect view of the sovereignty of God, that God willed this or God allowed this, and said that I can't do anything about this, those very same people would take medication actually working against the will of God then in effect, right? Because if God willed the sickness, then you shouldn't be taking medication. You should have it run its full course. I know we don't think about that often, but we need to think about things logically if we're making conclusions like that. 
And so I'm just building a case and ruffling some feathers already and making you feel uncomfortable so that you can be on guard and listen to what is going to be said next. Okay, let's go to Psalm 138. Something that a lot of people fall off their chairs for is this next statement. Our sovereign God chose to limit Himself. Our sovereign God has chosen to limit Himself. Let's go to the Bible to to elaborate on why I say that. Psalm 138 verse 2 says, I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So what has God done here? He's magnified His word above His name. So God cannot do anything outside of what is penned down in His word and what is laid down fast through His word. Hence, He's limited Himself to His word. To what we find, Genesis through to Revelation. Psalm 89 verse 34. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Again, God has limited Himself to what He has spoken, to what has been penned down for us, Genesis all the way through Revelation. So it is safe to say that God has, in His sovereignty, limited Himself. If you disagree with me, then you're disagreeing with what we are reading, which is Bible. Numbers 23 verse 19, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, shall he not make it good? Again, if it's said, if it's spoken, if it's penned down uh, for us, then it will happen. If it's not, God has limited himself. Now, we're going to look at some passages from the Old Testament scriptures that leaves us a bit confused if we're not applying correct Bible study. Understanding the composition of the Bible, understanding the message of the Bible, And so these verses that we're going to be looking at right now this morning can leave someone that doesn't apply Bible study in a correct manner because uh, um, Paul also encourages Timothy to study, to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed. So we need to study and rightly divide the word of truth. So this was an encouragement from Paul to Timothy to rightly divide the truth it's safe to assume that there's a wrongly dividing the word of truth. And so if we wrongly divide the word of truth, we're going to have a warped view of the sovereignty of God, and it will hinder us passive, and it will affect our relationship with God and how we view Him as a loving Father. So First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 4, and then we're going to jump down uh, a few verses down. Saul groaned, to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to taunt and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. So what did Saul do? Suicide. Okay, he took his own sword and he fell on it. Now jump down to verse 13. So Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He failed to obey the Lord's command. And he even consulted a medium instead of asking the Lord for guidance. So the Lord killed him and turned him or turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. What happened here? Like, is that a typo? Like, first we read about Saul falling on his own sword, and then we read about the Lord killed him. And this is where 
just a, a warped view of who God is and the sovereignty of God comes from is through incorrect Bible interpretation and Bible study. So what did the Old Testament characters not have what we have today? There's two things they didn't have. Now, there's a lot of things they didn't have. Let's be honest. But there's two main things that they didn't have that would have prevented things like this to be penned down. Because remember, the whole Word of God, there's inspiration and there is um, purpose behind it. But not everything penned down within the Bible is God's words. We'll get to one of those uh, um, ones that has, has, has been labeled to God as His words that also needs to debunk, be debunked. And we get there in a moment. But what did the Old Testament characters not have what we have today? One of you already said the Holy Spirit, so that was good. So they, they didn't have the Holy Spirit as we have Him today. What's the other very important thing? And we've opened up with that. The Bible as we have it today. Genesis all the way through to Revelation. So what does that mean? They were caught up in a time where mystery was concealed. We are not caught up in a time where mystery is concealed. We're living in the glory days where the mystery has been revealed to us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so that is why we see things like this pen down fast. And if we don't understand that, we'll attribute things to God that has got nothing to do with God because Saul fell on his own knife, on his own sword. He killed himself. God didn't kill him. Now, the other good example um, that we're going to debunk this morning is Job. The holy Job that uh, there's a very beautiful song with a very wrong doctrine out there. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And um, there's a whole story behind the, 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 the context even of the, 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 the song being penned down. If that's your favorite song, then it's probably not going to be after this morning's message, and that's fine. You can change the words in your mind at least. Um, and so let's go to Job chapter 1. And so again, understanding firstly that the Old Testament characters did not have the Holy Spirit as we have it today. They were living in a time that a mystery was concealed, and we are not living in that time. We've got the full Bible and the full meaning and the will of God. The purpose of God has been made very plain and clear to us. God's will for men to be saved, to have and experience oneness with Him, and to live an empowered life free from sin and death. So Job chapter 1 verse 20 to 21 it says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and takes away. Right? Death happens at funerals. The Lord gives and takes away. The Lord came to pick his best flower. The Lord did this. The Lord did that. Attributing things to God that's got nothing to do with God. But how can you say that? Because... Here in Job chapter 1 verse 21, it says that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So I can use that in a funeral and encourage people that the Lord had a better plan for this individual in heaven than He has here on earth. No. That's not in alignment with the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. 
This was, Paul, this was Job's experience of a situation. And later on we see Job repenting. But another thing that we need to consider within the book of Job is that there's a lot of dialogue happening within this letter, dialogue between Job and his foolish friends, where his friends is giving him very unwise counsel. And what happens here? In Job chapter 42, at the end of the, the book, some amazing things come to light to Job. So he opens up this chapter and he's experienced horrible tragedy and he attributes those tragedies and the troubles that he experienced to God. God gave me these amazing things so God can also take these things away from me. But then there's enlightenment and that's why we need to understand and read and study the Bible from Genesis through to Revelation. Otherwise we'll, we'll sit with what we call a con. Because if you take the text out of the context, you're left with a con. And so you'll be left with a con if you just go and read Job chapter 1, verse 21, and try and make a doctrine out of that. Job chapter 42, 5-6. I had heard of you by the hearing of an ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The message translation says, I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry, forgive me. I'll never do that again, I promise. I'll never again live on crust of hearsay, crumbs of rumor. How many of you have lived by hearsay? Not going by your own personal Bible study. God has never meant for the gift of teaching to be taken within isolation. There was a reason why Jesus came to deal with the covenant of... Um, having to operate through a mediator. Because God never intended with, for any one of His sons or daughters to have relationship with Him through another man or woman. Now praise God for the gift of teaching. Praise God for the body of Christ, there to minister to one another, instruct and challenge. But ultimately, the best form of discipleship is if you point someone directly to the source, Jesus. If you make people dependent on you and your teaching, you are failing as a teacher. We need to equip and establish people in their identities and relationship with God so that they can grow and mature and come to receive revelation from God Himself because that revelation will transform them. If you continue living by breadcrumbs and what other people are saying and just feeding on that and have no personal relationship with God, you will not be transformed into the image of who God created you to be. Because you are lacking intimacy that God desires for each one of us. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And I despise myself. Why did he despise himself? Because he attributed things to God that had nothing to do with God. And he, he came to see, in some ways, the light. God hasn't changed people's ability to discern who he really is has changed. God hasn't changed, but people's ability to discern who He really is has changed. Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as all, all of us know that Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh. And so God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we see something that is different to God from the Old Testament to the New Testament, 
we are misinterpreting something. Because again, the Bible interprets the Bible. So based on Hebrews 13 verse 8, stating that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if we see different, it means that it's a wrong interpretation, a wrong conclusion. God, God's will has always been the same. Life. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 to 17. And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. So what, um, okay, let's continue reading. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. So what was God's first instruction to Adam and Eve before he told them what not to do? He told them what to do. Oftentimes we, we camp on what God told them not to do. Why? Because we are more inclined to be sin conscious. Thou shalt not conscious. We are not inclined to be thou shall. Thou are. God told Adam, I've made you in my image and in my likeness. What was Satan's lie to them? Did God really? God told them what to do before he told them what not to do. And the what was go and eat of all of the trees in the garden. What other tree was in the garden that was not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Tree of life. That was God's desire and His plan for them from the beginning of time. Life. That has not changed. God's plan has never been death. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record to this day against you that you have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. Again, death was a result of the rebellion of Adam and Eve. And so now in Deuteronomy, it's part of the, it's part of the equation. We can't sidestep it. Today, it's part of the equation. We can't sidestep it. But God has given us His will and His desire, which is life. Blessing. John 10, 10, Jesus, a thief has only one thing in mind. What does a thief have in mind? He wants to seal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have something different in mind, Jesus. I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. Because if you experience life, Jesus, Zoe kind of life, you will overflow. You will become the blessing that God called Abraham to be, so that he can be a blessing. And so when we truly experience the source of life as God created from the beginning of time, it will not be about me, myself, and my relationship with God, and my prayer moments in the closet, and my personal relationship with God. We don't see any of that in the Bible. There's open relationship with God. There's shared relationship with God, within community, to the world out there. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. So we are laboring this, this idea and this, this concept of God always willing and having had this will for life, not for death. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. And we, I'm building a case towards, again, understanding the sovereignty of God. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So what does God 
not want any to happen to? Or <laughs> what does God not want? For any to perish. Right? That's what the Bible says. Or am I missing something there? Some of you are wondering, like, looking like uh, I missed something there. So God doesn't want any to perish. Right? It's very clear. Because He's always been about life. For people to experience life. Now the question is this. Do some perish? In, a, in, in the context of what God's will is here for none to perish. Obviously believers also die, but that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about salvation. Do, someone, do some people die without ex- having experienced salvation? Yes. I trust everyone is in agreement about that. So that means that what God's wish is, doesn't automatically come to pass, right? In accordance to what we're reading here. So God in His sovereignty is limited because He's given man free will. He cannot overrule and overthrow someone's free will, even in His sovereign state. Because He is bound and limited Himself by giving us that, which is called free will. Because John 3 verse 16 says that, for there, for here is the way God loved the world that He gave His only unique Son as a gift, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but experience everlasting life. So again, God's will, God's plan was for everyone to experience everlasting life. But that plan doesn't happen automatically because someone has to believe. Without belief, there is perishing. Perishing in a state of forever living outside of union and life with God. Faith is key to the step, or faith is key to step into the will of God. A person who chooses not to believe in Jesus Christ is limiting an all-powerful, sovereign God's will. That's profound. A person who chooses not to believe in Jesus Christ is choosing to limit an all-powerful, sovereign God's will, which is salvation. But choosing not to believe is choosing to go against a sovereign God's will. Do you guys get what I'm communicating? So, a verse that came up um, a few times now over the past few weeks uh, with regards to... Um, Again, understanding this, this, the sovereignty of God and how to rightly interpret a verse like John chapter 9, verse 3, which some of you have maybe had open in front of you for this whole morning's uh, meeting. Uh, because oftentimes, again, we, we minor on, or we major on minors, and we just completely blow some verses out of context, and we make doctrines about it, and we, we uh, believe absolute truths about things, and it just completely ruins our view of God and who He is. So John chapter 9, we're going to read from verse 1 to 3. And again, we've, we've labored like quite intensely correct Bible study and interpretation of the Bible. Genesis through to Revelation and understanding the message of the Bible, Jesus. And as we've already looked and labored, and there's many more verses talking about the will of God. The will of God is for none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Right? And so, John chapter 9, verse 1 to 3, says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. 
And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, we're not going to go into everything that we can get into from these verses. For example, verse 2, there's a lot to be said about that. We're not going to go there. It's not important for this morning's message and what I want to communicate to us. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, just keep it there. So, one of the interpretation, or it's not even like an interpretation, what we would have to come out with if we just read this surface level is, God willed for this man to be born blind so that he could do a work in this guy's life, right? I think all of us, like if you just surface level read this, this is what Jesus is saying. It's not because of the parents' sin, but why this man was born blind was that the, God, the works of God might be displayed in him. That is how you read, read it, just black and white, and we would uh, attribute this man's blindness to God wanted to show his glory and show his work and show the healing uh, of Jesus through this man, and so that, that's why I was born blind, because God is sovereign. And so whatever happens, however someone is born, whether with a deformity that was God's will. That is what we would get from these verses if we didn't apply proper and correct Bible interpretation to Bible study. One of the things that is always important with regards to Bible study is using different translations as well. Don't just stick to one translation. If you've got a preferred translation, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's important to also consider other translations because even your most adored King James Bible uh, is missing some things at times because of language and the change of language and words and things like that now that doesn't mean that the message of your your bible in its entirety is 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 wrong but there might be certain things or aspects and here's a perfect example where where something could be said differently and it changes the the meaning completely now the only translation and i'm not just going to camp on using another translation i'll further elaborate there's one translation that i found that communicates this completely differently and that's the message translation which says walking down the street jesus saw a man blind from birth his disciples asked rabbi who sent this man or his parents causing him to be born blind jesus answered you're asking the wrong question you're looking for someone to blame there is no such cause effect here look instead for what god can do how amazing is that now, you would be offended with this and want to say, like, yeah, no, it's a message translation, this, that, and the next thing, if you don't want to receive the truth this morning. Like I said, pride will say, this is contrary to what I've believed up until this point, so I'm not going to change my view on the sovereignty of God. Humility will say, like, he's got a point. Like, he's, there's, there's quite a number of passages of Scripture, and, and he's, he's, he's building quite a decent case with regards to the sovereignty of God and his sovereignty being limited to the free will of man and understanding firstly also that there's a bigger picture that we need to consider and these verses, even if the message translation didn't exist, how would we have explained this one? Like this, by looking at the rest of the Bible. Because God isn't schizophrenic. Again, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. God hasn't changed. So he doesn't do one thing this moment and then the next moment he's like, oh, I'm schizophrenic, I'm going to do this thing. 
That's not God. That's not who He is. So if we are seeing schizophrenia in the Bible, we are wrongfully interpreting the Bible. This one verse doesn't agree with the message of the Bible. Jesus, the character of God. This one verse doesn't agree with the message of the Bible and the character of God if we interpret it as face value. So we have to interpret it differently, like the message did. Look instead for what God can do. Yes, this man was born blind, but look at what God is going to do. Simple, plain. And what did Jesus do? Heal him. So let's not get caught up in the, in the, 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 the wording in between, attributing something to God that has got nothing to do with God. God didn't create sickness and doesn't need it to show His glory or His power. He has no part in it. God didn't create sickness. He didn't create death. That was a result of man's rebellion against God. He has no part in it. Yes, God can turn things around for good, but He didn't cause those things in order for Him to... Can you guys hear? If you had an earthly father, Jesus used this illustration. In Matthew chapter 7 from verse 11. We're not going to go there. And every one of the Gospels records it a little bit differently. And he says that if you on earth as a father, firstly, if a child comes into you and asks you for a bread, who's going to give him a stone? And then he carries on the illustrations using two more uh, illustrations there. And he goes on to say that if you as a father on earth being evil, why evil? Compared to God's perfectness, holiness, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more not your father? So Devon, you don't have kids yet. God will. Um, would you, if you could have had Hansel be born differently, or Jeremy, in hindsight, if you had now um, 24-7 confidence to work healings miracles and power because you believe you've got the power amen i've got the power dun, 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 dun. Um, so you've got that power but say you were now god and hansel and jeremy before they were born you could have showed some display of of glory and of power would you have chosen for them to be born blind and stayed blind even for a period of time until the perfect moment where you could perform that miracle so that you can be glorified as a father a loving father no. Now you being evil now to give good gifts for your children, for your children, how much more not your heavenly father? James chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. Laboring the same point. Do not be deceived. Can we be deceived? Yes. Hence, do not be deceived. My beloved brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow to change. Every perfect gift is from God. The Father of lights, there is no variation. He's the same, yesterday, today, and forever. 1 John 1, 5. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. No death, no sickness, no disease. He finds no glory in that. He only finds glory and light in us experiencing the light and the love of Jesus. God has chosen to work through us, and we're coming to a close. 
God has chosen to work through us. And so again, He's limited to His will and His power and what He wants to do in a, in a big sense through giving us free will and through choosing to work and labor through us. Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. In proportion to the power that is at work within us and the power that we are working through us. Right? The response to the power that we are choosing to work in and through. Romans 10, 13 to 14. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So again, how does salvation come? Calling on the name of the Lord. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? So again, belief is crucial. How are they to believe in Him whom they have not heard? So hearing something is crucial. How are they to hear without someone preaching? So God's will of salvation is limited to man and woman, you and me, preaching the message of the gospel. So, our sovereign God is limited Himself to give us the privilege and the honor of sharing the gospel. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So there's clear, there's a submission and there's a resisting. Now, if God caused the sickness of this man that Jesus healed, the blind man, if God caused it or if that was His will, who are we to resist and who are we to submit to if it is unclear, if we don't know the will of God, if sometimes sickness is good and sometimes sickness is bad, if sometimes destruction is good and God is causing this to teach me something and sometimes it's bad from the devil, where are we going to go? We're going to stand on two ice blocks in the Antarctic and it's busy separating and you're going to believe be a believer doing the splits and if you've been prepared for the splits you're going to look good if you haven't been prepared for the splits it's going to hurt and the water's going to be cold you're going to have a rude awakening and rather than have a rude awakening embrace the truth of the message of the bible who christ is and the sovereignty of god so that you can submit to god and through that empowering, resist evil, resist death, resist every form of persecution that's coming against us, whether in the form of the devil, whether in the form of the fallen world, and embrace the empowering that God has given us and live in victory. Mark 16, 17 to 18, last passage. And these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. Again, believers. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. And they will lay hands on the sick and heal them. Again, there's so much response in these verses. And why would Jesus call them to drive out all demons, to heal all sick, if sometimes it wasn't going to be God's will? And sometimes he's going to want to find glory in keeping the person sick for a little bit longer. That is contrary to the message of the Bible, contrary to the healing ministry of Jesus. He healed all that were sick. And only once do we see a count where it seems like Jesus said that, Oh yeah, this man was born sick because God wanted to uh, do something glorious in his life. Let's not magnify that one verse and become caught up in this one verse. Let's interpret it through the message of the Bible. And assume that some words were misaligned there that isn't clearly representing the nature and the character of God for who He is. God knows the end from the beginning, but he ha that doesn't mean that He wills everything or chooses it to be so. Meaning that God knows the, the end from the beginning or the beginning from the end, 
But just because he knows all of these things doesn't mean that he orchestrates and predestines these things to happen as such. We get to respond. That is the, the sovereignty of God. And that also shows the radical love or the, the radical love of God for mankind. Because even in his sovereign, all knowing power, knowing the beginning from the end, he still chose to limit himself by giving us free will even knowing the mess that it was going to cause to this earth, He still chose to give us free will and limit Himself by giving us free will to choose life or to choose death. But let's be certain of one thing. God has always desired for us to experience life, life in its overflow, in its abundance so that we will overflow. God has always determined and desired for us to experience peace and goodness and he's got nothing to do with death or sickness he opposes that sickness is oppression from the devil we see in acts so let's not yield to oppression of the devil yet let's resist the devil and see him flee but we need to become certain of who god is his nature and his character because that will bring us into a place of confidence knowing that we can freely submit to his power and his authority and speak to the, the works of the devil and see change come to be. Let's not blame God for, for this. Let's not blame God for death or for sickness, which he has nothing to do with. He is good and only good. And only as good for us. Just last, um, last uh, uh, example of this as well, where with Old Testament characters, and I was just reminded of this this morning, Elijah, what did Elijah do? Elijah called fire down from heaven so that the, 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 the soldiers could be consumed. And then in the New Testament, we find the disciples wanting to go and do what Elijah did. Jesus, uh, let's, let's call fire down from heaven. And Jesus says, no, you don't know what man of spirit that you are. Did God change from the old to the new? No. Who Elijah saw God to be wasn't the view of who God truly is as defined and revealed through Jesus and the mystery of God revealed to us in the New Testament letters. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca